Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Jonah. And we pray that as we reflect on it now, by your Holy Spirit, would you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have been a Christian my whole life. Uh, One of my earliest memories uh, was when I was about well, I was five, because our church growing up had a, had a tradition that if you, you know, once you turned five, you would get your very own Bible. So I remember being five, there was a guy, little boy named Ben Clark. He was born a month earlier than me, always a source of irritation. But we went forward and we received our good news Bibles together at church. And I still have that in, in my study, that same Bible. Um, I grew up in the church. My parents left the church I grew up in when I was a teenager, probably the best thing they could have done, right? (laughs) Because I kept going. Uh, So I was heavily involved. I got confirmed when I was about 11 or 12, involved in the youth ministry, always around church people. Went off to study theology. Not long after that, kind of felt the call to ordination. So I've spent a lot of time around the gospel, around the promise and the assurance of forgiveness, of mercy and grace, of what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has done for me. And there was a time in my mid-twenties when I was having a, a, a bit of a rough go. I was in therapy. I was struggling. I was struggling with some harm uh, that I had experienced in my childhood, some things that happened that weren't my fault, that were a source of anger and pain and brokenness and all kinds of things. And I remember being in church one day and it came time for communion. And on this particular day, for some reason, they were, we had used bread at communion and they were passing it around in baskets. I did not want to receive communion. I was so mad. It was the last thing in the world that I would have, that I wanted to do that day, was to take Jesus' broken body and blood. I did not want a God of the cross. I knew what the Eucharist was about. I knew what this whole gospel thing is about. I'd grown up in it. I had a degree in it. I did not want it on that particular day. It was painful. And I sat there and I was kind of sat in a section of the church where there weren't many other people. And I thought, maybe they'll ignore me. They'll miss me out. You know, kind of sort of like ushers. Sometimes when you're taking the offering, you might miss somebody if they just sort of sat behind a pillar or something. And like, I was hoping that I would just get missed and I wouldn't have to make a choice. But a basket came my way. And I don't know if it was out of willingness or just a sense of not wanting to have questions afterwards. But I took the bread and then I passed it on. I did not want the God that I believed in. I did not want a God of the cross, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of forgiveness. So uh, in reading through the book of Jonah this week, reminded me of that time in my life and gave me a little bit of empathy for our hero slash anti-hero, depending on your perspective. 
Um, Jonah's backstory, right? He, we had a little bit about that last week with John. Uh, John was preaching on, on Jonah chapter one. Here is a guy, he is called by God. Go and tell these Ninevites, this pagan foreign people who are up to no good, godless heathens, go and tell them, the message that I will give to you. And that is the last thing that Jonah wants to do. So he heads in the opposite direction. He gets on a boat. He tries to go as far away as possible. He does not want to do what God wants him to do. And there are stormy consequences, right? He's on this boat. A storm whips up. The boat is back and forth. Everybody's terrified. Finally, Jonah owns up, owns up and says, yeah, this is my God. And, they want, and he said, you need to throw me overboard. They don't want to do that because they understand the value of human life. Like, we don't want to do that. Maybe your God will get even madder at us. But eventually they do. They throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by this big fish. And then in the depths of that big fish, he prays. Jonah 2 is a big prayer. Help me, God. It's like, it reads like many of the Psalms. Deliver me. Bring me up from the pit. You are my hope, my salvation. And God answers. And Jonah is spat out on the beach. Can't imagine what he had to clean off. And then it's kind of like Groundhog Day, you know? Jonah chapter 3 starts, and the language in the first couple of verses is pretty much the same as Jonah chapter 1. Here is your do-over. You get to do this again. God's word came. Go to the Ninevites. Give them the message I have told you to give them. And Jonah has learned. Right? He's learned his lesson. At least disobedience and running away is not going to help. So he goes. And this is where our reading picks up in chapter 3. He goes to the Ninevites, these pagan, godless, heathen people in this huge, great city. He goes to them and he says... And these, his sermon here is kind of... it's. Comedic for its brevity. Most preachers, we preach long. But um, he just says, 40 days and Nineveh is overthrown. There's no like, well, you know, you've done a lot of bad things wrong. If you repent this, but no, it's just, you guys, you're doomed. That's it. I'm out. Right? Like he just, he doesn't, he doesn't want to unpack this. Maybe that's the message as God gave it to him. Maybe he abbreviated it. I don't know. But it is remarkable for its simplicity. You guys, you're going to be dead in, dead in a couple of months. I'm out. And what do they do? There's one very short little sentence right in there. It says, the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believed God. And they repent. And there's sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. They rent their garments. When the king gets word about it, even the animals are involved. They're distraught. And so they commit themselves to this period of mourning, this grief, this repentance. And more than that, they actually start turning from their violent ways. Right? That grief becomes something that leads them into transformation and change. And God sees that. And right at the end of chapter 3, verse 10, beautiful conclusion. God saw let me read it exactly, otherwise I'll make it up. God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. And God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. 
and then the credits roll. Nope, there's a whole other chapter, right? I mean, that would make sense as a place to finish the story. That would make perfect sense. He's the, pro- the, the words of the prophet have landed. The people have repented. It's all great. But no, there is one more chapter. And here we get a little bit of insight into why Jonah ran away in the first place. He owns up. He sees that God has relented and he becomes very dis- displeased, even angry. And he says, oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a good and merciful God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from punishment. How dare you? And you know what? It it gets even worse. He says, just take my life from me. It is better for me to die. I don't want to live anymore. If these are the terms... I don't want it. I'm out. All along, Jonah knew that God is gracious, is merciful, is forgiving. He doesn't get angry quickly. He's slow to anger. He doesn't want anybody to face punishment or death. He is looking for an excuse almost to relent and to have his people come back. He would forgive the outsider, the pagan, the evildoer, the violent, the hateful, the murderous. If they would repent, change their ways, rend their hearts, he'd welcome them back. Jonah wanted a reactionary God, but he got one who was slow to anger. He wanted a punitive God, not one who would show mercy. A God that is hateful rather than abounding in love. A God of resentment rather than a God of forgiveness. Jonah is basically saying, I'd rather die. Well, literally saying, I'd rather die than have you as my God. I don't, I don't want this. Compare Jonah to the Ninevites these pagan, godless, heathen people. They may have heard about those weirdo Jewish folk who worshipped Yahweh and had strange customs. But they didn't really know personally this God. All they get are these words, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And they believe. They believe. They risk it. Maybe, maybe there's something to this. Who knows? Perhaps there is truth here. Perhaps our way is really leading to death. Something resonates. And then the king gets word of it, right? The guy who's in charge of this hot mess of a city. And he issues this decree, this proclamation of repentance citywide. And it even includes the animals, right? It includes the the sheep and the oxen and the goats and the the what have you, the chickens, if there were some, I don't know. But it it seems a little bit strange to us. We might kind of think, well, why why would animals need to repent? I mean, I'm not sure that's necessary. Now, there are different views on this, but I really like what 
one rabbinic interpretation says that the point here is not about kind of making the animals like humans, right? That they need to repent. But this is about Ninevites identifying with the animals, recognizing in the eyes of God they are just brute beasts who know no better. I don't know if that's true, but I like it. They cry out for mercy. They ask for help. And all they've got is a snippet, a tiniest piece of news about this God. I hesitate to say good news because really it's all bad news. You're doomed. They turn from their evil, their violence. They amend their ways. You know, Jesus talks about the faith of a mustard seed. Having the faith of a mustard seed and seeing what fruit can be born from that. I feel like the Ninevites are great, a great example of that. They didn't have much to go on. They had an angry prophet declaring some hateful words or seemingly hateful words. But they took the risk of believing that there was some goodness in them. That there was a God there who might changed his mind they weren't sure in fact the king says who knows implicitly I don't God might relent he might change his ways where Jonah was saying I want to die the Ninevites were saying we know we see that death is coming and we want to live we want to live Here's one man who knows the truth, knows the character of the God that he worships. And that turns his heart sour. And there's a whole city of people who didn't have a clue. And they took that tiny fragment of possibility and they took a risk. What do you do with what you've got? With the Ninevites, we get to the end of the story. Right? Chapter 3 ends. God sees that their repentance is genuine. He relents. There's a kind of a nice resolve there. There's a resolve with their story. Who knows what happened next? But with Jonah, in chapter 4, there is no resolve. We don't know where it went. After he kind of said, I know that you are all these good things and I'm so mad I want to die. He goes and he sits outside the city to see what's going to happen. And this, God causes this tree to grow up and give him some shade. And then he causes a worm to come up and kill the tree. So the shade is lost. And that just makes Jonah all the more mad. And God said, well, you had no, nothing to do with that tree growing or dying. None of your business. Why are you so mad? And then it concludes with a question. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? Should I not have compassion, says the Lord? Why shouldn't God forgive the unforgivable? He has forgiven Jonah. Why God, why shouldn't God Forgive those whose lives are godless and seemingly empty. Those who are uncomfortably different from us, make different choices, have different values, spend their money differently, vote differently, look different, whatever. 
Why shouldn't God have mercy on that? He's had mercy on you. Why shouldn't God have mercy on those that you want to smite? Those that you wish, okay, yes, I know you're a God of the cross. I know that you're grace and forgiveness, but no. In this instance, no. They're in the wrong. They deserve X. They deserve Y. They deserve Z. They've hurt me. Why shouldn't God forgive them? Why shouldn't God forgive? And I suspect that the story of Jonah ends on this question because it invites us to consider our own answer to that question. It invites us to sit and to think, where am I? Where are the parts of me that are like Jonah? Where are there parts of me that doesn't want to let go? Likes my little silo of resentment. Likes the little wall I've built up against that neighbor, that friend, that colleague, that family member, that whoever else you can fill in the blanks. That part of you that you don't usually bring to church, right? You come to church and like, grace, forgiveness, yay, gospel, woohoo. And then you get in your car and you go on 610 and you hit traffic and you get an email and a phone call and then something else happens and suddenly you discover that other part. What about that part? How would that part respond to that question that God asks? Why shouldn't God have compassion on those who are brute beasts, don't really know any better? The left hand from their right, left hand from their right, other way. God will forgive exactly who God wants to forgive when he wants to forgive them whenever he sees fit. So why are we concerning ourselves with lives that have absolutely nothing to do with us? Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.